0: History books are filled with stories of massacres and murderers. Texas is no exception to this terrible truth. But what if I were to tell you about the story of an orchestrated mass murder and a cover-up committed by members of a storied law enforcement agency?
1: How in the world did this happen? How did it happen? I don't understand.
0: 15 men and boys dragged from their beds in the middle of a cold winter night and executed.
1: And we're not just talking just shot in the head. They shot them to bits. They you couldn't even recognize the parts.
0: A betrayal of the public trust. The men responsible for this horrific crime were also in charge of upholding the law in the Lone Star State.
2: They were strictly after revenge, punishment maybe, for some crimes that others had committed. Uh, And they left 42 children fatherless on that night, and then tried to cover it up.
1: It's a huge disservice to the children of the state of Texas.
0: The Massacre at Bordervenir, Texas, in this episode of KVIA ABC 7's Borderland Crimes, sponsored by University Medical Center of El Paso.
2: University Medical Center has been here for El Paso in times of crisis, in times of illness, and in times of joy. We are the highest designated hospital in El Paso, and we are ready to care for you and your family. At UMC, we care for El Paso.
0: Texas Rangers have long been part of popular culture. Before his long-running TV show, Walker, Texas Ranger, Chuck Norris became a box office star as the lead in the action movie, Lone Wolf McQuaid. It was shot entirely in El Paso in the spring of 1982. In the opening scene, as McQuaid emerges atop a sandstone cliff in a low angle hero shot, We hear a Mexican bandito tell a fellow bandit, ain't no one killed a Texas Ranger and lived to tell about it. McQuaid, the blonde lawman, surveils the Mexicans who have surrounded a hapless group of state troopers. The hot-tempered leader of the gang is bare-chested and made up to look filthy. In broken English, he taunts the calm and cool McQuaid. Once a Texas Ranger kicked my father's teeth out. Would you do that to me, Texas Ranger? An outnumbered McQuaid proceeds to kick his antagonist in the teeth, then single-handedly fends off the entire gang, because he is, after all, a Texas Ranger. But the agency's mythical status goes beyond film and television. There's even a museum in Waco dedicated to upholding the folklore. On its website, you can find videos like this one of stories that lay claim to a legacy that extends well beyond the Lone Star State.
3: The Texas Rangers are the best-known law enforcement body in the world. Who is who's better known than they are? No, the London Bobbies are not. The uh, Canadian Mounties are not.
0: But to take the legend at face value, would be a piece of revisionist history. Historians also blamed the Texas Rangers for the murders of 5,000 Mexicans and Tejanos in a five-year span from 1914 to 1919. And on January 28, 1918, the rangers killed 15 men and boys in the tiny ranching town of Borbanyar, Texas, 170 miles southeast of El Paso. It was the most atrocious massacre of Mexican-Americans in Texas until the mass shooting at El Paso Walmart in 2019. The Porvenir massacre wiped the town off the map. It forever altered the trajectory of the lives of dozens of wives, mothers, and children who witnessed it and fled for safety. The fear of retribution by the rangers so deep, the survivors kept the killings a secret for dozens of years. The secret so well kept, it seems only those people who go out of their way to look for the truth can find it. People like El Pasoan are Linda Valencia. She heard the horrific story in 1996. Valencia had just buried her father. She gathered her family to grieve and seek comfort. But a conversation with her father's brother left
1: Valencia shaken. And he just came up and said oh by the way I need to let you guys know that there's some history in our family that not too many people know and I think I need to let you know said, okay what is it and uh, sure enough he told us that uh, my great my great-grandfather had been massacred and the first thing you think of an Indian raid you know was it the Indians and he goes no it was the Texas Rangers And I'm like, the Texas Rangers, oh, you've got to be kidding me. The Texas Rangers wouldn't kill my great-grandfather. I was oh yeah, they did. Valencia's great-grandfather, Lógino Flores, was murdered
0: She first told me her family's tragic story in 2018. Valencia had reached out to me to see if I could report on the Porvinian massacre for our newscasts, and I interviewed her during an ABC7 newscast as a way to raise awareness during the centennial year. It was the first time I had heard about this particularly bloody chapter of the lawman's history. Like millions of other Americans, Valencia grew up watching the television show, The Lone Ranger. What started as a serial, shown in movie theaters in the 1940s, evolved into a TV show. A version of the show aired for decades, helping to spread the sanitized and idealized message of the legendary law enforcers.
2: An organization called... The Texas
3: Rangers, ever on the job of maintaining law and order. Six Texas Rangers ride alertly across a western landscape. All are courageous, straight-shooting men.
0: Valencia's memory of the show stood in stark contrast to everything her uncle was saying.
1: Texas Rangers were heroes. And that day when he said that, I was like how can Texas Rangers be the one to kill my great-grandfather when they're supposed to be the heroes? And he says, no, no, they were not the heroes in that time. Valencia wanted to know who else in the
0: family could verify this troubling story. Her cousin helped her piece it together. Her great-uncle, Juan Flores, was Longino's youngest son, He was 11 years old when he witnessed what happened in Porvenir, and at 95, he was the last living person in her family to live through it. Valencia and her sister drove more than 280 miles to Odessa to meet their great-uncle Juan and demand answers about their family's history. What did your uncle tell you
1: about what had happened? That they had come in in the middle of the night and that they would gotten all the men in the village and that they had shot them all. And we're not just talking just shot in the head. They shot them to bits. They you couldn't even recognize the parts. In fact, when they buried them, they had to bury them in a mass grave because they didn't know what part belonged to what. That's how bad they, they shot them up.
0: It must have been horrific to hear that about your family.
1: Well, it was horrific to even think that my great-grandmother, and all the other wives and children, had to see that. I don't see how anyone could stay sane after that. That was the first time his family had ever heard about it. And you have to understand, he had suffered PTSD all his life, and they had even they had even put him in an in a institution and he had gone through uh, electrical shocks because they didn't know why he was having the episodes that he was having and, and he would never say. So they just thought that he was crazy. And, uh, and then after finding out that this happened, they then they understood. But the whole time he refused to let them know what was going on. He would wake up in terror and screaming, and they just didn't understand it. All the wives that were left, uh, after the massacre, they grabbed the children and they ran across the river because they were right, what they need is right on the river. So they ran across the river to Mexico. drove dozens of women and children
0: from their homes in the middle of the night, in the dead of winter, to trek for miles across the wild desert into Mexico for safety. For most of us now, it might seem unimaginable to hear of law enforcement storming a small town and killing more than a dozen men and boys. But that was just the cruel reality a hundred plus years ago. The rangers weren't always the good guys. In the book, Cult of Glory, The Bold and Brutal History of the Texas Rangers, former investigative reporter turned author Doug Swanson retells the inception of the Rangers.
2: It was not unusual for the Rangers of this era all along the border from the Rio Grande up to the Big Bend to instigate a a reign of terror. And that was their their preferred method of operating. They, they killed some bad guys, but they also killed a lot of innocent people. Now, this was not uncharacteristic for the, for the ranges of this period.
0: As the official story goes, in the early 1800s when Texas was an independent republic, Stephen F. Austin, the father of Texas, recruited civilians from all parts of the state and the young United States of America to protect the new Texas settlers. According to Swanson's research, the rangers were also charged with seeking retribution for Native American attacks on Anglo-Texans. They were tasked with wiping out native villages to make way for incoming settlers. Rangers served as bounty hunters for escaped slaves when cotton was king. And in the early 1900s, a journalist for New York Magazine described them as roving assassins.
2: The term death squad Uh, didn't come into public usage until many decades later, but that's what they were, in many cases. The rangers did not invent police brutality, but they perfected it on the border in the early 1900s.
0: The Mexican Revolution that began in 1910 sent violence spilling across the border with Texas. One of the most dangerous areas was Big Bend, more than 290 miles southeast of El Paso. Some historians refer to it as the Bloody Bend. Mexicans often clashed with Texas farmers and ranchers as they tried to exert their power over the border region. One raid in particular was carried out by Mexican revolutionaries against the white residents of Bright Ranch near Marfa the raid was detailed in Cult of Glory. It was Christmas morning, 1917. A resident spotted the Mexicans riding up to the ranch and heard one of them holler, kill all the Americans. A gunfight broke out. One of the Mexicans was shot and killed by a rancher. The raiders ransacked the general store ambushed a mail coach shooting and killing two passengers and strung up the coach driver from the store's rafters and slit his throat. The cavalry learned of the raid and chased the raiders across the river into Mexico. Soldiers killed nearly two dozen of them. The dying words of one Mexican, the raid was revenge for the deaths of Mexicans along the border. The cycle of violent retribution was continuous. This time, the Americans were on the hunt. Witnesses describe what happened during a night of terror next.
2: University Medical Center has been here for El Paso in times of crisis, in times of illness, and in times of joy. We are the highest designated hospital in El Paso, and we are ready to care for you and your family. At UMC, we care for El Paso.
0: On January 28, 1918, Texas Ranger Company B, along with members of the U.S. Cavalry, rode up to the town of Porvenir.
2: They were supposedly in search of some bandits, but there were no bandits there. There were just very poor people. I mean, these were extremely poor people living in very uh, difficult conditions out there on the desert.
0: A town in name only homes made of mud and sticks, no running water, no electricity, no general store. The residents of Puerto had had to ride on horseback for a day to get supplies. poor people, not bandits, but targeted by the Rangers nonetheless.
2: The Rangers and the cavalrymen rolled in about midnight. Some of the Rangers were drunk. They pulled all the young men and old men out of the village and took them outside to a a rocky bluff area and executed them. And there were 15 dead, ages 16 to 72. There was no reason to kill them, but the Rangers and the cavalrymen did.
0: A U.S. Cavalry soldier by the name of Robert Keel accompanied the Rangers to Porvenir. He described what he witnessed in his book, Bosque Bonito, Violent Times Along the Borderlands During the Mexican Revolution. Kiel said even though the rangers claimed they were looking for bandits, they didn't question any of the men or boys about their involvement in the raid on Bright Ranch. The incident that allegedly prompted the descent onto Porvenir. Here's what Kiel wrote.
3: For perhaps ten seconds, we couldn't hear anything. And then it seemed that every woman down there screamed at the same time. It was an awful thing to hear in the dead of night. We could also hear what sounded like praying, and of course the small children were screaming with fright. Then we heard shots, rapid shots, echoing and blending in the dark.
0: The rangers left. Kiel and the other cavalrymen approached the bluff.
3: We had a few flashlights, so we threw beams toward the place they were pointing. At the foot of the bluff, we could see a mass of bodies, but not a single movement. The bodies lay in every conceivable position, including one that seemed to be sitting against the rock wall. As soon as we were close, we smelled the nauseating sweetish smell of blood. And when we could see, we saw the most hellish sight that any of us had ever witnessed. It reminded me of a slaughterhouse. A hospital corpsman who was with us went over to the bodies, but not a breath of life was left in a single one. The professionals had done their work well.
2: They were strictly after revenge, punishment maybe for some crimes that others had committed. Uh, And they left 42 children fatherless on that night. After the rangers finished, after the massacre, uh, the army burned uh, the village of Porvenir to the ground and the survivors, the women and children who were left, fled across the river into Mexico and most of them never came back.
0: The survivors were gone, having run for their lives. The rangers had justified their murderous deeds to their superiors and in their own minds, but the truth would soon be brought to light.
2: They were exposed. There was a a schoolmaster, Anglo, named Henry Warren, who lived in the area, and he went out the next day and found out what had happened, and he started a campaign to expose the Rangers and talk about what had occurred. He wrote letters to us and he wrote letters to the governor and to the, to the Rangers officials, uh, the adjutant general, and he just you know genuinely tried to make a fuss.
0: Harry Warren's own father-in-law, Tiburcio Hakes, had been slain.
2: What really struck me was Henry Warren's courage. I mean, this is a man who, who lived out in, in the desert, uh, and he really had no power. When he first brought his accusations uh, to officials, he was ignored and then he was ridiculed. Uh, They said he's he's a crazy man, he married a Mexican, he lives out there by himself. Uh, And, you know, at that period, in that period, a white man who married a Mexican was, you know, therefore nuts in, in the viewpoint of many officials and Anglos uh so he was he was ridiculed belittled ignored but he kept pressing it he kept after it and so you know i admired that because this was against all odds and i would say probably without henry warren we wouldn't know about this today
0: The massacre wasn't the only egregious act committed by Texas Rangers, but it was the final straw. In 1919, more than a year after the Portovinier massacre, a joint committee of the Texas State Senate and House investigated the Rangers and their numerous crimes. State Representative José Tomás Canales, the only Latino in the state House at the time, led the investigation. The record of the investigation is well over a 1,000 pages long, and it contains witness testimony from the wives of the men who were killed. One of the witnesses was Juana Bonilla Flores, the great-grandmother of Arlinda Valencia. Valencia stumbled across her great-grandmother's statement while researching the massacre online.
1: I could not believe I was reading her words about the massacre.
0: Bonilla Flores gave a statement about the massacre. It was written down and translated from Spanish. Here's a vocal reenactment excerpt from her
1: statement. Sometime during the night of January 28, 1918, four masked men, American civilians, came into my house and took my husband out. Struck him with guns and took him away. My house was surrounded by soldiers. Some I could recognize were I to see them again. About one hour after my husband was taken away, I heard two volleys fired by many guns. The next morning, before sunup, Mr. Harry Warren informed me that my husband had been killed. I was prevented by Mr. Warren from going to see the remains of my husband. Mr. Warren told me he had been shot and chopped up with a knife. I broke down and cried at that time. My great-grandmother was never the same after that.
0: The terror that her great-grandmother lived through was too much for her to bear. In 1935, Bonia Flores committed suicide. The state legislative committee investigation led to the disbanding of Ranger Company B, but none of the rangers were ever criminally prosecuted.
2: Mexicans didn't often get much justice from uh, the United States in, in this regard. Uh, you could probably count on the fingers of one hand how many times this happened uh, in, this, in this era. It was extraordinarily rare, uh, if it happened at all, for Anglos to be prosecuted, and sent to prison for killing Mexicans or Mexican-Americans. It just did not happen much.
1: It was unbelievable what was going on in those days. And the Texas Rangers have a huge black eye during that time, and they need to live up to it. We, they still haven't. We've never gotten an apology from the Texas Rangers. It's just unbelievable. And no one was held responsible. I asked the Texas Rangers if they would talk to me about the agency's
0: current-day approach to addressing the Porvenir Massacre. They responded, There is no relationship between the modern Texas Rangers or DPS and the incident you reference. The modern-day Texas Rangers are comprised of principled men and women of great skill and integrity who are fully committed to the rule of law. The Rangers did not respond to my follow-up question about whether the agency is doing anything to help mend any wounds that remain in the affected descendants or to emphasize the changes the agency has undergone in the last 100 years. Students in Texas public schools spend one whole year's worth of social studies on Texas history. And yet, the massacre at Borvinier isn't part of the curriculum. Neither is the dark history of the Rangers. And that's deeply problematic to Arlinda Valencia, who is a retired high
1: school educator. It's a huge disservice to the children of the state of Texas, to anyone who doesn't know the history. But number one, if you can't get the people that are responsible for it to confess and to say, yes, we did this, and we need to not repeat it, then we have a bigger problem. Because they need, they need to show that they are stepping up and saying, we're taking responsibility for what happened over a 100 years ago. Now, mind you, I would never ever blame anyone for their father's sins. They're just two different people. I mean, I would never uh, be responsible for any of my relatives in the past for what they did. I understand that. And I think people should understand that and say, "Okay, well, my great grandfather did this, but I'm here to say that we're sorry that he was a part of that and move forward.
0: Valencia is taking it upon herself to raise awareness about the massacre. She organized a 100 year anniversary commemoration at the state capitol
1: in 2018. That was the biggest uh, event for uh, this massacre that, they, that anyone had ever had. But it was 450 seats, and I was like, I probably maybe 100 to show up. I'm not sure. And uh, that day, there was only standing room only. And it was just packed with people. And I was very pleased that that's how many people uh, were interested in the story.
0: She worked to install a historical marker at the site. It took three years, but the official sign was erected in 2018. The site of Porvenir is abandoned and reclaimed by the desert, a drug trafficking route for Mexican cartels heavily patrolled by U.S. Border Patrol. The massacre happened on the American side of the border, but the mass grave is on the Mexican side. The survivors got a wagon and moved the bodies of the murdered men and boys across the river for burial. Valencia and her sister visited the gravesite in 2019. She and a caravan of descendants were accompanied by an agent for their safety.
1: It's a cemetery there, but they've got little crosses and stuff. There's nothing on our, on the mass grave that says what it's there for. It's just the biggest grave there. It's just huge, the, the rocks, and you know there's more than one person buried there.
0: Tell me what was, how you felt being out there what emotions were you
1: feeling? Gosh, there's so many different types of emotions that you, you feel when, when you see your ancestors. Uh, first of all, you think of that night, what they must have gone through, and then to see the mass grave, and I'm telling you, it's a, it's a very shallow grave. I mean, you could see boots sticking out from the grave. You could see uh, bits and pieces of things that were underneath the brocks. So it, it was just very jarring to, to see that they were buried so quickly and, and not at all really ceremonial. They just had to bury them quickly and move on.
0: Valencia also created a website memorializing the Borvinir
1: Massacre. One section contains educational resources for teachers. I'm going to make it easy for these teachers. All they got to just click on there. I've got lesson plans. I've got worksheets. I've got all kinds of maps. I I have everything for a teacher. If she would like to teach this history, you have it all there on the website.
0: Also on the website the names, backgrounds, and even some photos of the 15 victims. Along with Valencia's great-grandfather, Lorgino Flores, there was Manuel Morales, who owned the land where Bourbonier was located, Ambrosio Hernandez, Vitimio Gonzalez, brothers Pedro, Vivian, and Severiano Herrera, Alberto Garcia and his brothers-in-law Serapio and Pedro Jimenez, and their cousin Juan Jimenez. Harry Warren's father-in-law Tiburcio Jaques, and Hacus's son-in-law Macedonio Huertas, Roman Nieves, and Antonio Castellera.
2: Who did the shooting? Who did the most effective cover-up?
0: Valencia is even part of a documentary on the massacre.
3: For years after the massacre, horses would rear and wouldn't go near the spot where those bodies
0: lie. It's called Porvenir, Texas. It premiered on PBS in 2018. Valencia sees the recent and ongoing civil arrest across the country as the perfect time to push for more change.
1: There's a lot of atrocities that have happened throughout the United States and it's been against brown and black people and we need to do something about that. I just believe that there is a huge problem in America that we cannot accept the difference of of skin color. Uh, Brown people's lives matter too. What happened here in August was just horrendous. People dying because of the color of their skin. That's just horrific in itself. And it surpassed the 15 uh, that happened in 1918. Uh, But I'm going to tell you, you, we have to do something and we have to deal with the past.
0: Thanks to Arlinda Valencia for delving into her history for this podcast. Check out her website at porvenirmassacre.org. Also, thanks to Doug Swanson for sharing some of his research on the Rangers with me. I also referenced the book, The Injustice Never Leaves You, Anti-Mexican Violence in Texas by Dr. Monica Munoz-Martinez. You can find that and Swanson's Cult of Glory wherever you buy books. Thanks to Waco CCTV for permission to use the real rangers video they produce and use to populate the Texas Ranger Museum website. The Lone Ranger was produced by ABC Television Network. And thank you to Christina Schapter, the co-producer of the documentary Porvenir, Texas, for use of the film. You can watch the documentary on Amazon Video, she's become the main advocate for the documentary since the sudden death of her husband and director andrew Shafter, in 2019 the chapters have both worked closely with arlinda valencia to bring this tragic story to a national audience and chapter told me before her husband passed he was hoping to create a feature film on the massacre here he is talking about the documentary in an interview on marfa public radio in 2018.
3: it's almost like a a spark that that, that unloads a, a, on a powder keg of stories um, that are, are somewhat intertwined in, in, in some ways. They're just multiple isolated incidents all over the the border, but they have something in common, which is, you know, they're on the border and they involve uh, a lot of times the Texas Rangers. It was a decade of 1910 to 1920 that, that has sort of not been explored in cinema
0: before. Hopefully, Texas's dark history doesn't continue to go unexplored. ABC7's Borderland Crimes is a podcast researched, written, produced, and edited by me, Stephanie Valle. Our Special Projects Director is John McMinn, and our Operations Manager is Chris Swan. Brenda the Swan is the News Director. I've put links and video on our website, kvie.com slash crimes. Stay tuned. Another episode is coming soon.